Okay, well, let me introduce our panel to you because I'm, I'm really, really excited about what God has put together here. And so, first of all, um, you've heard us refer to a gentleman that has been sharing our services with us from Switzerland for the past number of months, better part of this year. His name is Ralph Rickenbaugh. And um, Ralph is with us this morning. Can we bring Ralph in first? Where is the boy? Did we get him? Well, All right, so there, there on the bottom is Mr. Ralph. So now you're getting an idea of what, what the boy looks like. All right, so <laughs> isn't that great? That's, that's what a, a Swede, that's what a Swede looks no, like. No, it's Swiss. No, he's Swiss, he's not Swede. Oh, oh you've done this Swiss. before. Yeah, <laughs> Switzerland. Look. Chocolate and mountains, that's right. You've told me that before. <laughs> And we can see him here as well. So, uh, all right. Uh, Ralph is a, a certified strengths coach, Clifton Strengths, Spiral Dynamics practitioner, software architect, family father, even family patriarch in the good sense, a lifelong learner, iconoclast, iconoclast, I believe I'm pronouncing that right, a thinker and pastor in exile. Within the last years, I have survived cancer, started a new career, deconstructed and reconstructed my faith, and overcome several strokes of fate in my family. Um, he will gladly help you through the same, should you be interested in his mentoring uh, ministry and uh, career. I also love to have deep conversations about the things people are passionate about. I can help you formulate your dreams, discover your gifts, find your motivation. Or I can just listen to you so that you can get clarity. So he says he's an accompaniment. I, I have a problem pronouncing this word. It would be in, in our English, accompaniness, accompaniness somebody who accompanies, but it's a accompaniter. Uh, so he is a, uh, mentors may not show us the way, listen to this. this, this is brilliant. Mentors may not show us the way, but they show us that there is a way. Accompaniters walk in it with us, okay? So isn't that beautiful? I just love, love, love that. Secondly, we have John Master Giovanni, a number of you are already familiar with John's ministry. It's great to have him with us for this entire series. Both of these men will be here each week. Uh, he's been an ordained minister for 35 years. He has a bachelor's in biblical studies, a master of divinity, and is, has a doctor of ministry. He went on to further study both of the Hebrew language and Hebraic spirituality through several diverse rabbinical scholars for more than the past decade. 35 years ago, he and his wife founded Oasis of the Valley, a transformational church located in Monrovia, California. And so John joins us as well. And then we have the illustrious fellow pastor-in-arms, Pastor of St. John's Church here, Wes Dunbar, 
graduated from Fuller Theological Seminary in Pasadena, California in 1981. He finally worked out the call of God in his life and in 1996 took his first church, which was out in, I believe, California, Mount Olive uh, Church. Yeah, that was where I was raised. I, my oh, first church was raised. in the, the outback of Montana. Okay. And um, uh, you've, you've pastored in Montana. You've pastored in Burlington and, and Bethune. Burlington and Bethune, Colorado. Yeah. Bethune, Colorado. And then um, uh, you've done Pueblo West in 2003. You were called to Wisconsin. You pastored in Wisconsin. Uh, came back to Colorado and pastored two Lutheran churches in the Morgan County area and then was called here to St. John's, I believe. Uh, from there, and you've been here for the past four years. Three, three, four three years, years, yeah, four, July four years. 15th will be four Yeah, because we met just about a year, I believe, into your pastorate yeah. here. And, and so, man, there is a wealth of, of living experience here. Uh, with these people, and then yours truly is going to be on the panel, and you don't want to know anything there. I mean, my my credentials <laughs> precede me. So, once again, if you're just joining us uh, today, Pastor Wes is going to take the first topic on inerrancy, infallibility, and inspiration of the Scripture. Uh, he has the first 10 to 15 minutes to monologue with us here about that topic and then we're going to open it up for your questions and you can engage with us and submit your questions regarding this topic in one of three ways here on a piece of paper that you've been handed write your question out we will not be bringing you the microphone secondly you can text us at 720-878-3323 3323720. Or you can type a chat into the uh, chat window, which I'm monitoring here. Uh, Mike from New Mexico, excited to be on this morning. Lisa W's here with her husband. It's great to have her along. And uh, so, anyway, <laughs> here we go. Pastor, are, are you ready to take the deep dive into why do we even look at the Bible? What, what value is the Bible to us? Um, and to jump into this discussion around inerrancy, in fact, or inspiration, or all three of them. Um, when I was at Fuller Seminary, 77 through 1981, this was the hottest topic. Um, so it's about 40 years old, if not older than that, for a topic of discussion. But as much as I read on it and talked about it, for me it came down to what does the Bible say about itself? Well, 2 Timothy 3.16 says all Scripture is inspired and is good for teaching and reproof and correction and those kinds of things. Uh, for our Christian life. So I always fall back to Scripture is inspired. The word inerrant or without any errors whatsoever is not a word the Bible uses about.
give me a different one. Oh, no. That stays on as opposed to. So I shouldn't mumble things or sneeze into the microphone. Or it's going to pop, though, isn't it? I think it should be set You I'll keep talking into this microphone until it comes up and it's there's some volume on that one. Okay. So this is kind of the bottom line where I'm at with the Bible. The Bible does not say of itself that it is without air. It does not say that it is infallible. That's just another word that basically means the same thing. It does say that it is inspired. God breathed is technically what that Greek word means. But its value is that it inspires us. It's not this faraway document. It is not this dusty India paper pages bound in leather. That's the really nice one your grandma gave you. But it's a living document. And there's always been this debate. I, I think what people are debating is they want an authority in this world. They want an authority in this life. So here's the Catholic versus Protestant. Protestants have always accused the Catholics of depending on a papal authority, right? You've got a person that is the pope. Catholics have always depended on papal authority, where Protestants have always relied on a paper authority. See, I just changed one letter, and it changes the whole conversation. Isn't that clever? But that's what, that's what the debate gets down to. Hold it. The authority is Jesus Christ. It's not in some system or structure. It's not in some book. This book is wonderful. It's inspired. It's great. Muffle the hisses, yeah. So, so when you approach the Bible, what do you expect? How do you hear what it says to you, to us? And, much more important, can you doubt it? Can you question it? Can you dig around into its history and its languages and its culture and its style? Now, as a Lutheran, and that's where I hang my hat, although there's a lot of other hooks out there. I believe that the Word of God is present in three ways. First and foremost, John 1, 1, Jesus is the Word. First, that's who I worship. Somebody walked in the door a couple weeks ago and said, do you believe in the Bible? I believe in Jesus. I'm not going to go down that rabbit hole of do I believe in the Bible, you know. I believe in Jesus. I believe he died for my sins. I believe he's risen from the dead. I believe he's in my life. Secondly, the written word of God, including the Hebrew scriptures and our New Testament, and they reveal Christ. That would be the logos word. That's the Greek word there. But then there's the preached word of God. That's a real Lutheran thing. We love to, that's why we always have a service and there's going to be a sermon we just don't do a service without a sermon in the Lutheran church. It's like a sin or something. I don't know. Um, 
And that brings God into the present. Or there's another Greek word for word of God. It'd be rhema. It's a, and, and I like the way Daniel Erlander, a Lutheran pastor, put it. That's the living word of God. That's the one that confronts you. That's the one that approaches you. It comforts you in your distress. Heals you in your sickness. Convicts you of our sin. Oh! And I, I'm aware of it. So when Luther, Martin Luther 1500s, was talking about sola scripture, the Latin for the word of God alone, was he saying that's the only thing that we use to define our faith? I don't think so. Because the, the reality is we use all sorts of things. We use our reason. We use our intellect, right? We do some thinking. Well, you always do that. We also have our own personal experience. And mine is different than yours. And yours is different than hers. And hers is different from theirs. That's just the way it goes. We also bank on tradition. Let us stop denying that we, you know, oh, no, it's just me and the word of God. No, it's not. You were influenced and you got all sorts of tradition behind you, you know. It's just, we just do have traditions that we hang to. There's divine revelation. There's just inspiration. There's just the Holy Spirit's just opening up my mind and my heart. And those are all ways that we get at the truth. Now, I have a specific focus on, Jesus said three times, he gives us the authority of binding and loosing. Okay, now I've got to remind you, in Matthew 16, Peter and him were kind of going at it. And Jesus says to Peter, I give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Later on, when talking about church discipline in Matthew 18, truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Jesus gives that authority to the church. And his parting message in John, the 20th chapter, if you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. And if you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. That's binding and loosing. All three of these instances, who has the authority, authority to bind and loose? God, Jesus, or you? You! Is that the most bizarre thing you could ever imagine? Hold it. Jesus, you got it wrong. I can't do this. I don't know how to do this. You got to do this. No, you have the authority to bind and to loose, to set free. Three times, not just one little isolated incident. And this is the goodbye message. I breathe on them, the Holy Spirit, and says, I give you the authority. This is frightening. And I'm sitting there looking in the mirror going, really, Jesus, you trusted me with this ministry? You trusted me. I'm a knucklehead. I don't do this very well. you got to know that. I make mistakes all the time. And I think the you is always plural, and we always forget that because we're so enamored with the idol of individualism. Another subject, another rabbit hole. So when we approach Scripture, and I do mean we as a community approach Scripture, 
and we're looking for inspiration, we do have kind of a way of looking at it. We have a certain bit of logic that we use, some, some rules of thumb to help us. The technical language is the canon of Scripture is huge, 67 books. But is there nuggets of a canon within the canon? The truths that help us unlock the scriptures. And again, my Lutheran tradition, the golden rule. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. I prefer the titanium rule, which is Jesus' version of that. Do unto others as I have done unto you. The golden rule is still based on how you feel, right? Do unto others as they would have you do unto them. That's nice. It's good for business. The titanium rule is much harder. Do unto others as, Je as I have done to use what Jesus told his disciples in John 13. Come on, Jesus. You're making it too hard. Ah, that's Jesus. Mercy over sacrifice. Mercy over sacrifice. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. You are willing to sacrifice. You're willing to give up. I desire mercy. I desire forgiveness. I desire love. And all of a sudden, back in the prophets, Jesus or the prophets were dismantling that whole sacrificial system. And when Jesus says it's finished on the cross, that's what he's talking about. One of the many things he's talking about. That whole sacrificial system, that whole scapegoating thing, that whole bloodletting thing, we're done with it. We don't do it. That's not what we do. Love for God and neighbor, number three. And what are the weightier matters of the law? But this whole process of, I mean, that's to help us get the inspiration up out of Scripture. And yeah, there's all sorts of wonderful studies and, and digging deep into Scripture about the language and the history and the culture and all those things. That's great. That's wonderful. Dig into that. But how are we going to find that inspiration that's going to move us forward. And this binding and loosing thing is, is kind of difficult. Because if you're too strict, then you start to condemn innocent people. And if you're too loose, what did Jesus say? You void the word of God. Oh, well. So we're doing this dance all the time. And I know what we want. I, I know we want... Just make it easy, make it simple, make it one, two, three, A, B, C, it's this way or it's that way. And you walk out onto that road called life and your journey and you go, oh my gosh, there's so many options, there's so many choices, there's so many roads I could walk. There's so many ways I could do this. All right, what's the golden rule? Titanium rule. Mercy over sacrifice. Love for God and neighbor. What are the weightier matters? All right, move that way. We walk by faith, not by sight. It's difficult. Is that 10 minutes, Jeff? It probably is because the next phases of things get way too long and way down into rabbit holes, and that might be too much. That's a good start. Am I on now? Okay. You're now. You're there. Well, so, yeah, let me get a little closer to you so the cameramen don't 
Um, wow. So we've brought John and Ralph back in, please. Ralph, it is Pentecost Sunday. Thank you very much for wearing bright red-ish color for Pentecost Sunday. So just wearing the red. It's the only time all year I wear it. So. <laughs> all right. Do we have any questions on paper from the congregation that we should pick up? I have one that was turned in prior, which we will get to in a moment. I have one in the chat window. Any texted? Okay, here's one in the chat window. Obviously, first and foremost for you, and then our, our guests, John and Ralph. This individual asks, if the Bible is not infallible, if it can be questioned, then we can just pick and choose the parts of Scripture that justify what we believe. How can we know that what we believe is godly or righteous? That's a good question. Well, as I ended with, you walk by faith. You, you end up, you have to walk by faith. And if what you're looking for is something external to you, a book, to have perfect knowledge or instruction, then I think you're you're having you're struggling with where is God and I think God's in my life in my heart in my mind in my movements in my relationships um, I could tease that out more but I'm really interested in what John and Ralph and you might say too because I've had the mic for a while and I can see them here in a monitor that we have and so I'll be looking often just right here uh, for them uh, either one of you, John, Ralph, what would you say to that question? And I'll repeat it in case, I, I don't know, you might be able to see it in the chat window if you happen to be logged into the live stream, but it, the question is this. If the Bible is not infallible, and if it can be questioned, then we can just pick and choose the parts of the Scripture that justify what we believe. How can <coughs> we know that what we believe is godly and righteous? Well, I, w I would say this. Can you all hear me okay? Yes. Okay, great. I would like to start by saying that humility is the gateway to revelation. And if we're going to approach the Bible from what I would call an egoistic standpoint, that I can now validate my beliefs, as opposed to finding a place of total humility and allowing, for lack of a better phrase, the Bible to speak to me and shape my beliefs. Um, there's a big difference. And prior to the canonization of scripture, our life for 300 years as the church was based in discovering Christ within us. So I would also suggest that while the Bible is a wonderful external tool, the real Bible lives in here. The word of God lives in here. So the one starts to mirror the other if we, in humility, approach, if you will, the book. 
So, John, I heard something there. before Ralph responds, if, if you have a response, Ralph. I heard something on what you said, and it's one of the topics that I'm going to be addressing, which is the Bible is the Bible, not the Word of God. Um, I'm going to parse that out, and I'm, I'm probably, somebody's probably turning us off right now because of that statement. But So go there with me. Uh, what are we saying about the Bible? Uh, is it a... Is it, a, is it a library, an inspired library, uh, revealing yeah, sure. an understanding, or is, it, or is it a legal constitution by which we must obey in order to find salvation? I would say this, if you approach the Bible from a legalistic standpoint that you must obey, you've already crucified the Christ. So... Um, <laughs> I, 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 you said something earlier that, um, I, I, uh, Wes, that I think is important. Um, we have a, a, a saying that we say at our church. It's kind of our, if you want to use the word constitution, our, our point of belief, and that's this. We are a Christ-centered people using the Bible as a tool, not a Bible-centered people hoping and believing Christ will be a result. Um, there's a big difference, I think, with that. Because once the Bible becomes the uh, sole authority, then your point of view is the only point of view. And as a result, to quote one of our founding fathers, it was uh, because of our religiosity that created all the bloodshed uh, throughout the ages. So. You know, I think it's just very dangerous to do that. Discovering the living Christ within you and using the Bible as a tool to do that is the key to it. So now we're back to the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So my way of yes. interpreting the Bible is the correct way, which tends to take us back to the garden where God said, don't eat of that tree. What was that tree? The knowledge of not evil, good and evil the knowledge of right and wrong, the knowledge of you're right, I'm right, you're wrong. I'm in, you're out. Who decides that? Oh, well, the Bible tells you, no, your interpretation of the Bible tells you that. See, those are all things where God, John and Ralph, never wanted us to go. It's what, quote, created the fall in that they ate and went into a space they were never meant to go of discerning the difference between right and wrong. That, that's, not, that's not the living faith. That's not the living Christ within us, constantly judging between right and wrong, correct theology, bad doctrine, good doctrine. Ralph, I'm anxious to hear you. Okay. I'm going to... Uh take some things uh, from next Sunday, uh, just to, to make you curious a little bit. But I think that uh, we as a people grow into maturity. And there is a time for us as children, for example, that we need external rules and a strong hand. And in the Old Testament, this was the Ten Commandments, uh, the, the laws and all that. And in the New Testament, uh, we have replaced that with the Bible. and But when once we grow and become more mature, 
we have internalized much of the morals and ethics that we were taught through external extrinsic motivation. And we have become more mature to follow. And I would say that uh, I think it's Isaiah that says, I'm going to give you a new covenant that's written on your hearts. And I always say not on stone tablets any longer, nor on paper. Because the stone tablets at that time were just a replacement of paper. And I think God would have used paper if he had it at that time. So, but then again, we're on uh, Pentecost Sunday. And I think something happened on this Pentecost Sunday that is a good answer for, for this question. We were filled with the Holy Spirit. And I think the Holy Spirit gives us uh, an understanding and and correction and and tells us what's what's not even what's right or, or wrong but what brings life and what's not life uh, bringing with our interpret interpretations of the bible uh, i want to go to galatians there too where it says that the old testament the law or even the bible if if i may say so was a pedagogue a teacher that brought us to the right source mm -hmm. and the right source being the, the living word of God, Jesus Christ, as um, Wes said in um, John 1, especially John 1, 14, that the word became flesh and, and Jesus Christ as the word living within us through the spirit, giving us, um, um yeah telling us what 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 to do telling us uh, what to believe telling us whether our interpretation interpretation is out there whether we are losing something from the bible or not yes nitpicking would be bad but going to the bible with an earnest open heart and listening to this small little voice of the spirit we actually interpret for what god had put in that word and what he wants uh, as Logos and what he wants to speak to us as Rhema at this moment, personally, as an individual and not just the, uh, here we say 0815, because that was the first mass uh, produced weapon ever. Uh, so 0815 truth is a mass production that's okay for everybody. So I think that we we have to come to a more uh, or we we can believe and trust the Lord so much through his spirit that we can come up to a individual relationship with an individual interpretation and it will be fitting. And we will have correction through the spirit, correction through people around us that we trust. Did, did you hear that phrase? that the Bible became the first weapon of mass destruction? <laughs> the way that we have used the Bible to beat and to condemn and to judge and to put people out and accept certain people in and oh my goodness. So God didn't give us the scripture for us to debate right and wrong, he gave us the scripture to lead us to the word of God, Jesus. Is that fair?
in your Lutheran understanding. Yeah, absolutely. It's, a, it's about Jesus. It's not about a book. And I think we've all kind of walked, said that, yeah. said that in, in a variety <clears throat> of ways. It's, it's, it's about Jesus. You know, and, and I'm stuck there. And that doesn't mean I can't love others, meaning other faith communities, Hindu, Muslim, Buddhist, Jews. It's a, of course. Um, but I'm stuck on Jesus. That's, that's what I know. Those others might be a path to God. And I love this from Michael Harton. Um, he wrote The Jesus-Driven Life, not The Purpose-Driven Life. The Jesus-Driven Life. Um, Jesus shows us the Abba. Jesus shows us this God of love. That's who Jesus is. He was willing to suffer for that. There might be other paths to God, and that's fine, and that's good. Follow your path. But Jesus showed me the Abba. My Father. The Father. God looks like Jesus. God has always looked like Jesus. There was never a time where God didn't look like Jesus. And We've not always known that, that's but now that we do, now we do. I'm, I'm quoting Brian's song. I know, but that's that frightening to us. Yeah. yeah. The only God we know is Jesus. Sorry. That's, that's, I have there's two no, really, there's no God really great questions. Listen to this one. Is it, oh, this is from the congregation. Is it okay for passages to have different messages or meaning to different people? Or is absolutely one, does one does one person have to be wrong? Isn't that great? I love that question. I love and it. I don't know if they're asking it from the standpoint of, you know, I'd, I'd like to be the right person. <laughs> or if they're saying, hey, I can flow with this, dude. Does there have to be an in and out, a right or wrong? Do we have to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? Or, 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 or was the whole purpose of Scripture to lead us to the beautiful Christ? in which all of us find our redemption. So yes. I didn't mean to answer it. No, did that, you want to comment right. about and, that? And John popped in there. Go, John. John? Well, just just real quick. I mean, some, there's so many components to what everybody is saying that fits so beautifully together. Um, but uh, a rabbi, one of the rabbis I studied with uh, well over a decade ago um, out of uh, Tel Aviv and in Jerusalem, uh, he makes an, made an interesting comment. He said, have you ever, and of course he's referring to the Torah, but this applies to the whole Bible. He says, have you ever read a, a scripture? And then about five years later, come by that same scripture, and all of a sudden, bang, it speaks to you, and it even says something different than what it said five years ago. Yeah. And he said, his, his point was, it's not the scripture that changes. It's your inner qualities that change so you can perceive scripture from different sides. And, and that's really, that's why, yeah, absolutely. You can have different points of view, etc. The issue is, again, it's always going to come down for me on something very simple. The egoism of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil in, com in comparison to the life-giving um, aspect of that tree of life. Ralph used to comment earlier about maturing. I want to suggest maturity isn't knowing more. Maturity is emptying more. 
Say, say, and, say, it, say it again. Maturity. Sure. Maturity isn't knowing more. Maturity is, is not knowing right. More. Okay. Right. It's emptying more. It's emptying more. Emptying ourselves again of our our egoism, etc. That all goes with that. That the need to be right, which is usually built on the foundation of the fear of being wrong, uh, all those kinds of things. Um, I want to read, talk about scripture, right? I want to read a, a little passage real fast. Let this mind be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did it not consider it robbery to be equal with God. In other words, something to be pursued violently almost, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant, coming in the likeness of men and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself. And you can read the rest of that. Now, I'm of the point of view that scripture points us to the revelation of God. The fact that the Christ humbled himself is the revelation of the nature of God, as opposed to him letting go of his godhood and just coming in the form of a man. No, actually, because of that humility, he could say, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Beautiful. Here's another question that comes in through the uh, live stream on chat. With all of the many translated versions of the Bible, which one should we read? Or do I have to read them all? <laughs> that's my job. I get to that, read them yeah, all. That's, well, the, and that's <laughs> the point. That, that's part of why we are paid to to give up and the ultimate well yeah, just, kind of i don't actually get paid from my church but anyway uh in the old covenant they it. couldn't own land they couldn't they couldn't buy a house they didn't yeah. because the, their time their career their their being was to study to represent god to the people and the people to god and, and come then and be the voice of God to the people. Now there's, there's problems with that and so on and so forth. We treasure the personal indwelling of the Holy Spirit. All of us are priests and kings under our God, so on and so forth. I get that. I'm just, I'm just drawing an analogy that there, there is truth in the fact that uh, there are those whose calling is to spend this kind of time, as, as Ralph and John do, as you do, in the Scripture, that you might come and present it in such a way that then we can go from this place of fellowship and the Holy Spirit in us will enlighten and reveal and walk with us through a discerning life of embracing the Christ. It, 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 it's not a legal obedience to a law code called the Bible, it's a living expression and explanation and revealing and uncovering of Scripture, often at the church, often through a pastor, priest, prophet, king, uh, and, and then the personal walk with the Holy Spirit that uncovers and reveals and makes it alive to me so that 
Five years earlier, that passage meant one thing. Five years later, I'm reading that same passage, and in my present circumstances, it comes alive. Is it the translation? No. Is it, I heard something new from a different pastor? Possibly. But what it really is, is the Holy Spirit making that logos, the written word, alive to me, so it becomes the living expression of the Christ whom I know. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to get preachy. Go, be preachy. Um, the simple answer to that question for me is find, find a translation you're comfortable with that you can read and understand. Um, and I, pr I doubt that's the King James Version from 1611. Just, just tossing that one out there. But there are dozens that are out there. But riffing a little bit off of what John said in the Philippians 2 passage, have this mind among yourselves. It's a plural. Paul was writing to the church at Philippi. He was writing to the whole group of them. None of us study Scripture by ourselves. I've got a library full of voices talking to me all the time. Right now, you in here and on live stream, you've got four people that are banging around with the Scripture. So that's, it's an us. It's always a we. It's always a community process. I love the Mennonites for that. When I was hanging out with Mennonites and studying Scripture, well, we understand this to say, what do you mean we? You get to have your own individual opinion. They didn't think like that. That was a revelation to me to sit around and, and, and study the Bible with Mennonites that mm. talked in the we all the time. Yeah. Yes, bring your own individual, interesting, novel, creative, weird, heretical ideas. Put it on the table. Let's talk about it. Because it's a we. It's a process. It's a community. We Lutherans have made decisions about what we will bind and what we will loose what we'll hang on to and what we'll let go of, okay? I hang my hat with Lutherans, so, but guess what? I've also got Ralph, and I've got John, and I've got Jeff, and I've got, and Nina has to endure me every week. I get, she gets <laughs> inundated with my versions of the sermon on Wednesday or Thursday. It's a we all the time. I so value uh, the, the books that I read and the people that I talk to which John is both. It's a book that I've read and, and I get to talk to him sometimes. So, I would like to chime in because um, in Germany, Switzerland and Austria, the German language, we have the uh, uh, we have many translations just as you have in, in English. And, and I have been to Burma and in Burma, there's just one translation. If now the Bible would be inerrant or infallible in the uh, traditional sense, we would have to trust God to translate, uh, to do a translation or to inspire the translators in the same way. And I would say that maybe we would have one translation per language. Maybe we would have several because uh, you cannot translate one language into the other without losing some of the field of connotation of certain words, especially when you come from Hebrew through the Greek into or the Latin or so into the German, as it was the case for Luther for some uh, part and others. He had the Greek and he had different versions of Greek and we have since found other versions of Greek and, and, and all that. So what I'm saying is 
if if the Bible were inerrant, the best way to do it would be the Muslim way. Only the Arabic um, Quran is actually true. Every translation is false and wrong. So we would all have to learn Hebrew, Aramaic, and uh, and Greek uh, for that uh, to know the inerrant or infallible word. But if the word of God or, or the Bible actually is the pedagogue, the slave that in the morning takes the students and brings them to school, reminding them of everything they have learned in the past, and then at the in the evening gets them back from school, doing the homework with them and all that. If this this is the Bible, but the real teacher is the Holy Spirit and is Jesus Christ that we are led to every day through the Bible, uh, then it doesn't really matter whether it's that version or that translation, whether the translation is really word by word or takes more of the sense of what we interpret uh, into those words. It's just trusting this this uh, this guide to actually guide me to, to the word of God, to Jesus Christ, to the Holy Spirit, and then receiving from them. If I could just add a little thing to that, if, if that's okay, you can't help it. Because when, as soon as Ralph said about knowing the Hebrew text and the Greek text and the Aramaic, I just want to read one scripture from two translations um, and, and just listen to the difference here. Okay, so this first one, this is at the book of Revelation, um, King James Version. Blessed are those who do his commandments. This is Revelation 22, 14. Blessed are those who do his, do his commandments, that they may have right to the tree of life. Now the NIV. Blessed are those who wash their robes, that they may have right to the tree of life. There's a significant difference between keeping commandments and washing robes. Why is that? Is it a translation problem? No. Now we have a new problem. There's variance in the Greek texts. Those are taken from two completely different Greek texts. And that's why we wind up with one with commandments and the other one with um, washing robes. Because of the myriad of Greek texts we have out there that have variances in them. That creates different ideas. I'm of the opinion God had this rigged. That the Greek texts are variant, our translations are variant, because the only way to truly get this is to drive us right to the Christ himself, because that's where life is. And I'm thinking of a natural father when he talks to, to one of his children, and, and he's explaining something like why the heaven is blue, the sky is blue, uh, stuff like that. It will be very slow, easy to, to comprehend, uh, maybe some magical uh, con uh, connection in there. You see the water and that's why the sky is blue. And the next time when the, the sun asks why is the water blue, that's because the sky is reflected in the water and so on. And, and the older the child gets, and once he goes into uh, studying physics at the university, he's going to get totally different answers. And so when we read different translations, when we read different translations at different times in our lives, we will have totally different revelation 
because uh, we have changed, because we have matured, we have emptied ourselves, but also we have built a certain ability of complex thinking, a certain awareness of things. And so we can comprehend more. Uh, we trust the Lord more, hopefully, and he can go deeper with us. So I think it's it's the journey. It's not the word. It's not the letters, because the Bible tells us that the letters kill, but the spirit brings life. So Nina's going to be coming in just a moment and sharing a time of prayer with us. Uh, don't don't jump off just yet, because I, I want to summarize some things and bring this around. In 2 Timothy, we're told that the scriptures are God-breathed, as one translation says it, inspired. Everybody on this panel believes that the scriptures are inspired, God-breathed. But let me ask you a question. Does, does your interpretation of that or your understanding of that necessitate that God stood over the scribe and whispered in his ear the exact words he had to write <laughs> so that in that fashion they are inspired only if God does that? Is that God breathed that he literally translated or as a secretary would do for her boss to, uh, what's that called when dictate, transcribe, and dictate? Is that your idea of breathed? Because it is not the Hebrew or Greek idea of breathed. See, everybody on this panel, and, and I think really if you examine your heart, most of you would agree, the Bible is inspired. But we need to change our view of what that means. It doesn't means that, that mean that God stood over the shoulder of each of the scribes and dictated to them word for word everything they wrote down. Both Hebrew and Greek testaments use words for breathed, and it means to come alive, to make alive. One instance is in the book of Genesis. You know it well, where God created Adam out of the, help me, dirt, of the ground, the dust of the ground, and then he did what? He breathed in him the breath of life. And it says, Adam became a living soul. See, that's what happens when I read the Bible. I don't read it for dogma. I don't read it for inerrancy. I, I don't read it finding that there is one translation that is faithfully true and accurate. None of that matters. I read it to come alive in my relationship with the Christ, Jesus. And Christ is not Jesus' last name. All of you help form the Christ. And so I, I, I want to say to you that the Bible is an inspired library containing a narrative about God's love and involvement with man. It is, it is not a legal constitution which must be obeyed and adhered to in pursuit of salvation. All of us on this panel believe that that's already taken care of, that 
we believe that he's already justified us and saved mankind, that that was addressed in Jesus, demonstrating the cruciform love of God. But the Bible now simply provides us with a practical roadmap of faith by which we can know and experience and enjoy a relationship with our Creator. It's not a matter of every jot and every tittle being perfectly translated or not. It's are you coming alive when you read it? Are you brought closer to the Father? Are the covers pulled back and you realize more and more each day the incredible relationship that God's given you with the Son of God? Honey, presumably you have not other texts Questions? No, questions. There are, we've satisfied those, and I have satisfied what was in the chat. There was one more written. Well, there was a written one, and this is a little, I, I, I don't know, guys, I'll, I'll go ahead and post it, and I need to add a little bit in trying to interpret what's being said. But in Exodus chapter 20, verse 3, which is not written out here, but it says, thou shalt not in the King James. It says, you must not in the New Living. You guys are looking it up. John, I know you can easily. Wouldn't the Hebrew word more accurately be translated should not, indicating that we have choice or the ability to choose? So I don't know if you're getting the question. And what's, what's, one more time, what's the verse location? Right now to our ending, I wanted to be faithful and go ahead and read it, but I'm not sure. I'll let you, John, if you want to respond to that, since you're the what, scholar in our yeah, one, one, more, one more time, what's, what's your address on that? Exodus what? Ex Exodus 20 and verse 3 that okay. says, Thou shalt That's what not, I thought. or depending on the translation, you must not. Wouldn't that in Hebrew be more accurately translated that you should not, indicating that God gives us choice and free will? It's the Hebrew phrase there is lo ta'asiya lek. Uh, lo is a, um, a negation. Asiya means the doing of something. So when we say you shall not, as opposed to, um, he's really say, the, the implication is very similar to what you're saying, uh, Jeff. Asiya means to make or, or to. Um, uh, to, to act to do an action of something he's so it's the issue the implication of the verse because lek is then uh, hold on let me get get it back here lek is uh, to yourself so this is definitely it, it, I'll put it this way every rabbi and, and Hebrew teacher I ever spent time with will never call these the Ten Commandments that's something we created they're called the ten sayings. Okay, in Jewish things. Sayings. Not yes. obedience, not legalism. <laughs> okay, right. Now they've adapted Ten Commandments because that's a good point of reference that everybody uses. Thank you, Charlton Heston. God's leading us. He's, it's the teacher, as, as Ralph said, that's leading us. It's, it's my summary that's leading us to faith. It, it, so it's, it's a beautiful library. Of yeah. inspired writings, God breathed, which lead us to the Christ. We need not turn it into a constitution. 
Nina's coming. Yes. <laughs>